Good evening. Good evening. We've never done it in the evening. Nice to speak to you in the evening. It's relaxing. It is relaxing. All the kids are sleeping. <laughs> it's nice. Just got them all down in time. And you've got back, haven't you, from yoga? So you're nice yeah. and relaxed, are you? Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah, it feels spacious, doesn't it? It feels like we can have a have a thing. So tonight we're gonna talk development, aren't we? We're gonna talk yeah. children, how they grow, how they come into themselves, how they become, how they become. And I think we were we were thinking about sort of womb womb side, weren't we? And looking at what goes on sort of developmentally before they're even earth side, which I yeah. think is really interesting. And we sort of left off um, our last one. We were taught, we were sort of thinking we would enter into this kind of segue and look at milestones and things. But I think we're going to start right at the beginning, aren't we? And look at that. And yeah. I think, again, a bit Jude-inspired because I've learned a lot more, obviously, with him having Down syndrome and a different pregnancy and sort of being under a complex care team and all the kind of juggling of that, especially at the end of pregnancy, I think it was really, really interesting. Um, well, you've just made me remember, actually, as you're talking, I can remember the some of the things you used to say. So just go back to when you said, Oh, we won't. So maybe we'll set milestones aside. Now I think let's let's start with milestones, but in pregnancy, because mm-hmm. something that makes me sad and upset is that twenty not upset that's too strong, but makes me riled is at twenty weeks scan. Um, I find it strange that isn't a time for honouring instead of going oh you know just looking at anomalies and, and that sense of which I know you know you had your own experience we'll talk about that in a second but it's it's that in an uncomplex pregnancy there doesn't seem to be any opportunity or, or space for the parents to leave throwing their hat in the air and going woohoo you know right you know every, we're all on track or just to know that it's a well-grown baby and bringing my bringing me to Jude you had surprise you had an adjustment that we discussed last time lots of things to deal with but even then I remember you through that pregnancy from that point very very confident in your baby's beautiful growth Mm. and you remember right to the end when they were pushing you for induction there was very much this strong powerful sense in you I have a well-grown baby I am well my baby's well and You've been told that it's a complex pregnancy, that, but you you didn't feel like that, did you? You had lots of confidence in in his growth. Yeah, I was. It was such a connected pregnancy. I do have to say that, despite there was probably an element of disconnection in that, like I spoke about in the down to birth episode about that twelve to twenty week decision making bit. There was definitely disconnection there. But again, even then, I remember talking to him all the time and saying, I'm really sorry that I'm even thinking about this. <laughs> you know, I can yeah. remember talking to him about it. But once we once we got to 20 weeks and I, I just sort of really reconnected and I just felt, I know this sounds really weird, but it was so, is the word, I'm not very good with my words, but is it visceral? Like I felt him reassuring me. It's, there's no other way I can describe it. I felt his reassurance. Like every time I questioned, was he moving enough, you know, or 
is this going to be okay or something? He suddenly kicked me, like literally instantly. If I just Amazing. thought, I haven't felt him much today, or, you know, just those niggles you get sometimes when you're pregnant. And then immediately he was rolling around and just going, and it felt like he was always saying, mom, it's okay. I'm okay. You know, that. It, but isn't it funny that we're surprised by that? Because if we think of our babies when they're outside of our bodies, uh, and how they are attuned, you know, say you get in from, say, say when Mabel gets in from school, she'll come and sit on your lap or mm. she'll sort of come and connect and say, hi, mum, and touch base, you know. Mm. And in, it's funny that we think that that wouldn't be the case inside, you know, that outside they're in constant conversation with us. So why wouldn't they be in constant conversation while we're inside? And why, you know, in my book, it says you're talking down the, talking down the telephone of the presenter. I mean, you're, mm. you're talking to each other aren't you and do you remember I think I may have mentioned on another podcast it was a neuro doctor or do you have been anyway brain doctor that we one of our parents that we were supporting mm. and he said to me there is nothing I could use as a machine or or any skill or any book that could come anywhere close to the high resolution information that a mother's receiving from her baby if he did a scan or he was reading, trying to work out what was going on, you know, anything a doctor could do. He meant doctors generally could, cannot come close to what the mother would know. What a man, eh? That's amazing, isn't it? And he just, I love that word, high res. It's high wow, resolution. He said it's so subtle and nuanced, the pressure of a baby's weight, the endocrinal flow, the chemical waft, you know, the, the leaning in of the elbow here, that, that you know, the baby applying so that then the woman's needing to walk in a certain way, you know, all this information, the wellness of them as well, who knows how we even evaluate that as a mother, but we know, and there's an ongoing debate amongst doulas, which is, should one say to a mother in labor, did you feel your baby move? And it's my feeling. I think we've also discussed that before. I don't, I don't think one should, because I think, first of all, we're not midwives. And secondly, I feel if the mother asked that question, it's so a fait accompli when she's she's so in union with her child that when she doesn't even kind of know what's not normal, but she won't recognise what's the normal run of the day when you're just so woven that you're woven around your body, your baby's body, you know, baby's body's woven around your body. Sometimes in the middle of a labour, you couldn't even distinguish which is which sort of thing. So to kind of suddenly make it a rational question when for nine months it's not been a rational question, it's been a living with the visceral, as you said, beautiful word the visceral chit-chat that's gone on between you, you know. How do we even evaluate that? And that brings us to, since this is our starting at the beginning of development, is it is an opportunity pregnancy, isn't it, to just feel into your baby's growth, in, in not in a way where an app sends you a grape and a peach and an apple, I don't know, whatever they get, you know, your baby's this size, your baby's this size. Yeah. We all know how it feels to turn sideways in the mirror and see that, marvel that is your tummy growing and you just can hardly believe it but equally inside you feel it you feel the changes and the aches and the pains and the heaviness and and we were going to talk about the end of pregnancy where my gosh uh, you are so aware of this kind of ripeness this coiled spring of a child ready to tuck and tuck and tuck and tuck and tuck and then fly you know there's a lot of pressure at the moment to um hasten hasten the end of pregnancies and bring babies out and do you know my most my most hated phrase is it's cooked mm. oh I can't have that phrase I just um, 
it just, uh, we're done here you know it's like yeah. what first of all a horrible cheap phrase anyway but the idea that it's all mechanics and that yeah. somehow a baby's a recipe that just bing microwave oven are you actually kidding me that they were not even including the person own will in the matter mm-hmm. and when I say to people you know like well it's also down to your baby they feel a mother understands it's a person inside who's making a decision mm. but I'm amazed even you know trusted colleagues I know who sort of think it's like oh your baby's well really down they're really engaged that means it's going to come it's like mm. there's so many other factors to when a baby would come because of who they are you know when they're ready who they are blah, blah, blah. so even that is very I think uh, you're missing you're missing so much if you like you say, just see the mechanics. And I think, I mean, you must find this with your yoga classes as well. I love watching like a pregnant woman, if they come to your classes early on and the difference, like say they come to you around 14, 16 weeks and it's it's so obvious, like they're not there yet. Do you know what I mean? They're not with their baby fully yet and you can see it because the way they speak and the way they move and the way they they are and then you see them slowly soften through their pregnancy and you see the change and you see the hormone shift and you see the flow that like you know that like energy of my baby's here and we're together in this and you know how they're just kind of you know obviously their bellies are bigger but there's this energy around them at the end and there's just, you know, like a bit of a, I mean, we talked about glittering in birth, didn't we, once? But a bit of a, you know, like, um, I don't know, like they shine. Phosphore- phosphorescence. Phosphorescence. Yeah, there's like, like you yeah, know, like yeah. an aura or something. And, and you yeah. see the way they move in the class and you can see them moving with their baby, you know, from it just yes. being this kind of logical bump to oh now I'm moving with my baby you know the flow of like a cat cow or you know whatever Gosh, it is. I haven't thought of that but you're right that is it it's just that well isn't that because it's a bit of a takeover or it's a bit of a takeover mm-hmm. where they've surrendered to the baby they're kind of carrying the baby like you would when you're carrying them on the outside I mean it's yeah. because the baby's so much bigger as well so they have to be in that that word dynamic they have to be in a dynamic dynamic relationship yeah. Um, and it's funny actually because you can also see some just sometimes people who haven't given in to that almost resisting it, and the bump almost stays stiff on the front. And you're mm. you're right, and there's a there's a move with it, and it doesn't. You don't have to have nice sway sway uh, sexy hips to have that look. It's oh, the no. kind of basically it's a surrender. Yeah. It's a surrender to the baby's occupation of you, isn't mm. it? Yeah, and that is it. That is, and to go back to the development thing. It sounds like tangential when we talk as if this is the foundation, but it isn't. It's the template for trust to get inside your baby's growth, knowing that they are ready and when they're ready, letting that readiness give its cue, the baby gives the cue to begin its life, is going to set you up for then trusting on the other side when they start meeting their little milestones, you know, very initially just being able to feed, then I actually think there are some hidden milestones that people don't talk about, like finding their shoulders and their T-shape, that they they don't have a spine initially. They have a, a curled little rolled body, the shape of your tummy. So to me, that three-week point when they come into their T-shape of their shoulder girdle, when they lift a little bit, not full neck strength, but they just start getting a bit of limb to them, you know? Um, and then, of course, the limbs unfurl a little bit. And then 
in another six weeks time, those little limbs will have reach capacity and be able to not, I don't mean picking things up yet, but I mean, even just the, even just being able to have an elbow Mm. um and open up the arm so that it's a long thing rather than a little coiled thing you know to me or well, they're all I wish I mean I missed them all first time because I was not noticing all this but yeah. that little bag of potatoes that they are little tiny old man oh you know curled over and then they just unfurl like a little fern in the woods don't they what makes me sad is I do think with every year that passes we see more and more anxiety around what should my baby be doing what what mm-hmm. could my baby do because of these books I mean I know I'm a, also have done this and I hope that my book is not prescriptive like that if there's so much advice and it combined with a very anxious society that's trying to get things right combined with the commodification of children as in almost like a competitive element you know if I'm a good parent if my child is doing x then initially that used to just be like the older children which was bad enough you know exams and doing well at school or whatever or in sports day or something but it's now come right down hasn't it certainly last 15 years so that you have got this quite obvious sense that you know I going to millions of groups within the first six weeks I've got to do this I've got to do that if, the, if people are really honest with themselves, why are we going to the groups? I get it that it's fun and I tried a few things, but I think if you're doing it because you're trying to get your child stimulated, there is a seed of distrust there that the child won't get there anyway just by ca- being carried, cuddled, loved, talked to, read to, sung to, rocked, brought in on your life. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I do get it. And I think, I do think there's, there's pressure, but and I think there's a lot of loneliness, sadly. And I'm not against them. I just would say the first question is to really ask yourself, why am I going? And then if it's like, well, I really, really, really yeah. love watching my child giggle or have a little smile when something happens. And yeah, of course, but there's time for that. Like, oh gosh, yeah. and you know what? I'm, t- I'm I'm absolutely with you. I I was just sort of thinking about it and why. Because I didn't really do groups with mine. I mean, Ed was so intense. I couldn't have imagined scheduling him into anything because I wouldn't have made it. And if I had, I would have put so much pressure on myself. I would have ended up in tears. Like, because I could, I had to be led by him. And I think, again, that's, I'm always amazed. Like, even when I was teaching postnatal yoga, that they could all get there on time. And I'd be yeah, like, I was do you know what you've just... just- achieved I would always start with that I'd be like you're here that's a miracle like pat yourself on the back and have a cup of tea like you you made it to something at 10 15 or whatever like I'm so not knocking that. I mean, if it's just just the getting yourself together getting the comf the confidence it gives you to get out of the door it, it, it does yeah. it is a way to build confidence but the in terms of what I'm talking about developmentally yeah. is, is is I just wish there'd be a little bit more refinement to people checking in and not just getting on the gravy train and going right okay if that is genuinely because you're just loving it fine but mm-hmm. I really would urge people to start reflecting on this very palpable anxiety around child development that I'm I'm noticing where, where um is my child meeting their milestones? And the point I'm trying to make is it's down to me to get that child to, to help my baby meet yeah. their milestones. Yeah. And and that is not how it works. The human being mm. 
that's born has its own program running and you are just the co-steerer. I was reflecting for this. I was thinking about there were a few books when I was having my baby, my first baby. There was a, there was definitely a mood change. And I think it was to counter Gina Ford. Mm. And there were some amazing people coming out. Deborah Jackson, Three in the Bed, Sue mm. Gerhardt, Where Love Matters, and dear old Oliver James, who... You know, psychotherapist Oliver James, mm-hmm. he was doing his utmost trying to get people to understand the, the um the importance of first moments, first days, first hours, mm-hmm. and those first weeks. And I was I was just fascinated. I just I mean, first of all, like like you, I had this quite compl- you know, quite intense child child who I had to learn from. Once I got the hang of it, I then was like, Oh, I see. I've got to mm-hmm. just listen to you. You know, just 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 let's just see what happens. Don't don't worry so much, like of what whether this is right or this is wrong. Like we've talked about before, let's just listen to you. And so once I started getting into it, I I, I just found it fascinating. You know, this this business of the child being an, as Sue Gerhardt says, an interact an interactive project, not a self powered one. So I'm slightly contradicting what I was saying earlier, which is that that this, this readiness to meet you from the moment they're born is what sparks their and ignites their development. So we do have to, you know, obviously contact and connection with mama, with the mother first and foremost and father or partner is going to help that child come into its body and start kickstart its development. And we know that because Klaus and Kennel in the uh, 70s and 80s, 70s, were the first two, were they paediatricians, I think, I don't know what they were, they're social scientists as well. But anyway, they they decided to record thousands of newborn hours. And it was really with them that they started to realise that babies weren't a bundle of reflexes and that they were hugely sentient, unbelievably with it. And obviously not just a little wah, 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 you know, asleep, wah, sleep, wah. They were looking, and we know that, the, eye, the eyes round, open falling into that present alert state when they look for you look for you track you and become incredibly conscious don't they you know and i think most people are quite shocked at how aware they are and thank goodness these days people are the hospital set up and is obviously much more geared to respecting that first those first hours what sue gerhardt was meaning she so she's a, she's a neurologist and she neuroscientist sorry and she was saying her book was called why love matters and she meant love in the sense of the obvious sense but also the close contact the bringing your baby mm. literally in those first moments onto your chest breathing them in whispering in their ear stroking their back you know carrying that on and just feeling into their body and their their, their belonging they belong to you, you belong to them, is mm. what sets up their brain development. Yeah. That's what that's what gets development going. Yeah. But what I'm meaning when I say it's not all down to you is that once you're giving the very basic, simple recipe of attachment, of that possibility to be that you are available to your child, mm. you that you accept them, love them, you know, you, you're giving them a secure, safe place and way to be in the world then their brain goes into gear and they start their journey but it's this idea of you know I remember seeing this woman once in the park and she'd put her baby on her on its time on their tummy and she would put an orange out of reach 
and she was trying to get the child to crawl by a kind of almost like an obstacle course type situation. Like, you know, like reach the orange, reach the orange, you know, something, you know, like a little game. And I, I think I did something similar. I did things, I did things like that. And it's a balance, isn't it? Because it's nice to do fun things with your baby. I did a lot, I did treasure baskets and I was doing all sorts of, you know, singing songs, also singing a song if it isn't that. But what I mean is, is not worrying that if you don't do it, they won't become themselves. Yeah. You know, they're going it's to that become kind themselves. Of, it's the sort of orchestration of it, isn't it? Like, That's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's trying to trust. It's a lot to do with trust. Like, I think it's a huge trust element, like trust that your baby will do it anyway. And I think I remember reading those Deborah Jackson books and, oh, she's so brilliant. And I remember the story about the swimming and it just stuck with me forever. About, what was that one? It was just about, you know, literally, do we need to teach our kids to swim? No, of course we don't. Because if they have the experience of you as their kind of, like you say, it's like if we give them a solid base, they will explore the world from a really secure, relaxed place. And she was like, I didn't, I didn't do anything with my kids. I just hung out with them in water. And I watched them naturally establish where they could toddle to because they would sense that they were out of their depth. You know, this is, she was talking, I I think it was her book that spoke about, you know, that actually, you know, floaties and stuff quite dangerous because then kids don't know that their body has limits in water. Oh yes. Yes. So, and that just, that just really stuck with me and I never did swimming lessons, but I've always taken them swimming. I just go and play and they're really, you know, not blowing my love that. at all, but they're really confident, good, happy in water swimmers. And they've never been told anything about the water. They've just... That's so in. interesting. And it's... But you have to trust it, right? You have to think, I don't need to do anything here. I just got to provide the environment that they can explore. And I think that's a lot to do with child development isn't it it's like what you're saying if they have a secure attachment as a baby they're not adrenalized they're not anxious they're not panicking so if their body's soft and relaxed and open of course they're going to absorb the world in a much more receptive way oh, I love feeling that, yeah. tight and anxious you know which and they do you know I know that with Ed you know we spoke about this before but I know how anxious I was around him like I was anxious if someone else was holding him. That was like the yeah. of my anxiety. So, of course, he's not great around other people because he thought as a baby that other people were scary because he would have sensed, like you said, them being sentient beings, they're so sensory. He would have felt my anxiety across the room, known that I was panicked. So he would have been like, I feel weird something wrong here I don't know why but I'm in someone else's arms mum's worried so I should be worried and then you know he's gonna grow up with a bit of a fear of other people which you know it it tracks it makes sense but it's you know oh I wish no, I heard something I heard something this week that I hadn't thought of before and all these years we've been working it was a a, a chiropractor we work with who's taught, who helps women find space in you know in late pregnancy for the birth And he said, well, actually, what I mostly do is I make the babies relaxed. And I was really shocked because even with all my experience, I was like, what do you mean? You you literally, he said, oh, you've got to have a relaxed baby inside. That's that's what makes a relaxed birth. 
And I hadn't even really thought of that. I sort of know about an applied baby. And yeah, so he said that they kind of, I mean, the way he described it with his hands was such a lovely, he showed me, it's like ease, they're at ease in there. You know, they're not all scrunched up and they're also not, um, it isn't just down to the mother being relaxed. He was meaning that there's space for their body to unwind, he said, to unwind. Mm -hmm. And that goes to your point, doesn't it? It's like, I mean, how how relaxed can women be when they're constantly stressed out by induction dates and whether they're going to meet the target time you know because that must also create a crunch up a congestion a sort of sense of holding your tummy in because you're nervous you know and and I think of a nice loose relaxed baby that just yeah. mother's breathing deeply into her the base of her belly and like big like you talked about earlier the mother moving with her, the sway and swing of her very mm. late pregnancy that that's a relaxed baby relaxed bump relaxed everything it's just you're so right and it just sets it all up doesn't it I mean I didn't know it for my first baby and I did go about it a bit intellectually and didn't really instantly understand what was required we've talked about that in, in other episodes but as I started to learn it was so obvious what Oliver James called that this this you know the baby's sense of self comes through continuity and consistency of loving response from us our responsiveness mm. is saying to them i'm here you're safe be yourself i'm here you're safe be yourself i'm here you're safe be you know, uh, on the loop mm. that's why it's so tiring you know 24 hours a day and then i just remember it was so obvious eventually that you know you're lifting the load so they have nothing to worry about physically and once they've got nothing to worry about physically, it's why carrying a baby is so good, I think. You can literally see them get on with the job of becoming themselves, of having, mm. developing that sense of self. I mean, it continues right up, obviously, right through childhood. I can remember a teacher saying to me when my, when my eldest was about 12, 13, really simple concept. <laughs> you were talking about academic progress, you know. Mm. And he said, well, of course, Children just become cleverer <laughs> because because they just do because they're yeah. getting older, and even that's like an idea that is yeah. happening in our society. He said you don't even do have to do anything just because their brain's getting bigger, yeah. and you go and yet you wouldn't think that, would you? Certainly not in Southwest London. Oh. You'd think that unless you stuffed every child full of facts and sent them to extra tutoring for everything, that they wouldn't gain knowledge of the world and they wouldn't gain understanding of themselves and concepts or whatever and he was talking concepts he said you know there is a point that you know it was a, obviously a valid stage when each point in a child development when they're ready for certain steps of learning certain stages of learning that kind of con that understanding of that or respect for that that there is a time a readiness a readiness for certain stages of learning is gone I mean I've, I've I mean certainly where I am I mean people are like in a race the child can take it on it must be right so say reading say teaching a child to read it's almost as if if you if they can read they should read as I'm sure some people know I'm big big time passionate about education and I almost feel like that's a separate subject but yeah um but we can know, talk I mean, like, so much about that because obviously I used to be a secondary school teacher so I'm I'm in recovery from that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did, I can't even believe I was a teacher for a decade because 
oh my god it's just I forget that. didn't it didn't I mean it fitted me in that I loved I loved being with teenagers in terms of like chatting to them and like getting to the bottom of things and wanting to sort of support their emotional well-being. But my God, the the kind of traditional school system is so broken. And, you know, it's like force a kid to get a C, but it doesn't matter if they've got any manners or, you know, any life skills or it doesn't matter. Literally, it's just get the grades and it's, the pressure that the kids are under is actually really gross, you know, like really. I gross. find it gross. I find it pressure. I would. I'm glad you used that word. Um, I'm hoping that people here, when they're listening, they, we're, not, we're not sort of jumping forward. I'm hoping that what 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 the point is, is it's all of a piece. From yeah. tummy, tummy to newborn, from newborn to, to 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 months old, to months old to a toddler, from a toddler to a a, a, um, you know, a, a small child, you know, right up to six. Um, that I would say it's six years of this of that very intense mothering period, isn't it? Basically, where you can pretty much relax and and their bodies take care of themselves. They evolve, they grow, they develop. So does their brain. They do not need loads of extra stuff going on then. But there and then when you get later, exactly the although we jump there to a lot later in life and I do think it's worthy of a whole maybe you know to talk about education and exams and stuff like that because it seems to stress people out so much yeah. um and it's almost too much to include in this with, with little ones but it's where what you have to examine your I think people have to examine their their thinking on this because it's actually getting absurd it's mm. absurd what's mm. happening and it's starting younger and younger and younger and I'm now having people call me. I've had three people call me in the last year who I was doula for obviously not very long ago, who've got like four or five-year-olds who are now stressed. So that's not even your lot teenage time, right? That's who are now stressed because of perfectionism. They said, my child's got really perfectionist. It's really odd. I don't understand it. And I said, what do you mean perfectionist? So all sort of anxious around how they're doing. And you go, well, let me talk about it. And then you discover... But in the little primary school, there is, there was a, there, there'll be anything like, there'll be something like a unicorn. There'll be like a magic circle or a rocket on the wall or a um, rainbow something, you know. And the child gets put on the rocket or in the unicorn circle or on the, if they've done well. Mm-hmm. Now, you could say, well, that was the same as getting a star for your good work, your spellings or something. But it's taken to a whole new level because it's it's a kind of club. You know, you get in the wow. in the good circle if you, for example, have got to school on time. Now, because that's something that's out of the child's control. Mm. But they still so this. Um, I'll give you a particular example. So somebody was late for school a couple of times, and the child was five and getting really stressed. Oh no, my god! And the, and the mum was like, "What's the matter? I won't get in the circle." You see, or whatever it was, the you know the rainbow, whatever it was. It was they're all different. It was the rocket that one actually. Mm. You, so the little name gets put on the rocket on the board or whatever. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. But what no teachers and the system isn't factoring in is what if you don't get on that? Yeah. What does that do to a very nascent sense of self? Like a oh, I'm the type of person who doesn't get on the rocket for something you can't even control because your mum is taking you to school. I mean, what sort of donkey carrot bullshit is that? But that is saying that, isn't it? 
just a judgment as well. You know, like when babies are born and they get an Abgar score, we immediately score a baby. They come out of the womb and we score them. I always yeah. think that. And I know yeah. that everyone yeah. wants a 10 out of 10 because it's linked to their health. But I'm still like, what if your baby does get an eight or a nine? And that stays yeah. with mothers. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like we're always ranking everyone and ranking, scoring. Ranking. And there's a hierarchy. And, and that's where it all goes wrong because we're all, you know, we are all equal. You know, it's that sense that what a child matters. I mean, especially I've experienced this with Jude, obviously, but what a child matters less or deserves less or do you know what I mean? If they, in, you know, what society's eyes are doing less or are achieving less, they are then less. That's absolute bullshit i know and it's and, it, and, and it's wrong it's, it's also wrong like you said it's it's gross and i think that what i'm finding is is is, is i think a lot of this latest generation are feeling that mm. and they're much more conscious than maybe even five years ago and thinking this is a bit offensive but there's a bit of like well what can you do you know mm. and i and you can't beat and join them type of thing and i don't I don't have any answers, but I don't think this can carry on because it's sick. It's really wrong, you know. Um, to see five-year-olds worrying about school over mm-hmm. things like, like how good they're rather than just playing and feeling into the social... It is, it is, you know, it. not to, like, put pressure on anyone, but it is the way you feel about it. Do you know what I mean? Like... yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, if my kids come home and they're a bit worried about something and I can, if I'm having a good day and I'm in a good place, I'm not saying I'm like this all the time, but if I can be relaxed for them and really consider how I'm speaking to them and what I'm saying, knowing it's going to cause that kind of impact to them. And obviously we're not going to get this right all the time, but just that awareness that, this moment matters. They're stressing about something. This moment right now matters because if I can relax them or be relaxed myself, they're going to, you know, they're going to feel better about this. Or, you know, I can add more pressure. You know, it's like there is a choice there. And I think that's like what you're saying, coming back to the sensory groups and uh, and putting, you know, getting out the house, loneliness, mental health, putting that bit aside but it, like you said, questioning. If you're going to a sensory group to switch on your baby's brain or to work on tummy time, you definitely don't need a group for that because their entire world is sensory. Yeah. Your nose is interesting, I would say. Yeah, yeah exactly. Your glasses are interesting. Yeah, everything you do to them is new. It's like blows their mind every day. That's one of the reasons... I left teaching, I mean, apart from the stress, my God. But it was because I worked in quite a tough, like in a London comp, but that did really well, right? So it was very high pressured on the teachers and the kids. But I also saw the emotion, like coming back to development, I saw the emotional impact on the kids that I was their tutor or I, you know, we, some of us did mentoring, you know, stuff like that. When you were more on an emotional level with them, when you got a chance, because there's so little time for that. And I could see the impact of, you know, a difficult upbringing or a difficult beginning. 
And I realized I was at the wrong end of like child development. I didn't want to be at the teenage years because you know that you can't, I mean, yes, you can make, you can make an impact and you can help people, but you can't, the first like three years of a child's life is so monumental in terms Mm. of development. It is so, you know, it holds the most weight for the rest of their life. And I know that sounds a huge responsibility and enormous pressure. And I don't mean, it's just having the awareness, isn't it? That this is, it's so important. Like if they have a, you know, what you hope for them, whatever that may be, we're all different. But if they have what you hope for them in those early years, you know, they are so set up you know to have a better oh, I, time then I love it that you bring it down to that I didn't know that's why you were left well, and I was looking watched Oliver James on this brilliant talk and he literally said what you just said because mm-hmm. if you don't have secure attachment that mm-hmm. it's the secure attachment that gives that strong sense of self that enables your brain to develop and flow and become to unfold and it's sad that the focus is all on the outside, isn't it? It's like, what can you put yeah. into the child when actually it's what's on the inside, you know, it's not what's outside coming in, it's what's inside coming out. But it's and also it, it, the inside of you, not them. Yeah. Because yeah. I think the whole crux of parenting is you have to work on yourself to shed all your crap <laughs> so you can be a blank canvas for them. Yes. And not bring all your stuff to them and your issues. Because we all parent either how we were parented most of the time or we go against how we were parented because we didn't like it. But that's all reactive, you know, and it's all our own stuff and our own patterns and our own internal systems. But I think, again, that comes down to we talk, we t- touched on this last time about that feeling free in ourselves to just to be right if we can be they will understand it's okay for them to just be but most of us can't because we've got our own you know and and it's like static and they can't read you I think the word I love um is regulation like they call it dysregulated when a child doesn't feel met a baby doesn't feel met they it dysregulates their system they're immune system, nervous system, motion, you know, all the, all the, all the stuff that's setting up. It's a bit like a thermostat in those first weeks where you're setting their, their points, if you like. And that in the very early infancy, you can sort of see them being regulated. Do you know what I mean? They're kind of setting, aren't they? I wonder if people will deduce from this though, you know, do we mean, can you see how it starts catering to perfect parenting? This is, this is the complete conundrum of our times because Yes, we have to clear our staff, and yes, we that enables the child to become who they need to be. But I wonder if people might deduce it. Say, for example, they lose their temper, or they're not as patient as they think they should be. Mm. I, 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 neither of us are meaning that, are we? I mean, you've still oh, got to no. be real. You've got to be real. Mm. And if you, what children want is not perfection; they just want no. you to be real. I think that when, but that's hard, people, right? Lots of yeah. people find that really hard to be themselves not be the version of the perfect mum they think they're supposed to be, you know, cooking the vegetables and doing the reading. And, you know, I am so slack as a mother. (laughs) I am like, I, because it's the only, that's, 
my true self. I picture you. I picture you on the sofa. (laughs) Tell me what happens when they get in from school. What do you do? Nothing. I love that. The thing is, it's just about being available. So available is another good word, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that I was quite a chaotic. I'm a chaotic mum, and I would say I'm quite a volatile mum. And I've done, but on paper, I think I'd look, I'd be quite crap. (laughs) I'm not. I'm bad tempered. Not bad. I've got a temper. What it means, I lose. I've got my patience can go, but I'm never sulk. I would never withhold. And I and my as I'm glad my husband recognizes he said you're never frightening you know I'm never I'm never I can go so that's something to reassure people that you know it's not a bad thing oh it's not about being zen or calm yeah yeah it's nothing to do with that you fly off the handle exactly but it's about it's about the repair isn't it it's always about it's about showing them what life is so it's having every emotion but showing them how to deal with that and having arguments, but showing them that I'm not now going to lock you in your room, for God's sake, or whatever, <laughs> you know, something drastic. We're going to talk about this and apologize to each other. And, mm. you know, it's like, I guess it's just respect, isn't it? I think I feel like that with babies as well. Like, I think we don't respect babies no, enough. Yes, you know, I the know. way we touch them and talk to them, like, the, I don't know, I just... My babies are like my most precious, beautiful beings. Like I hold them. I don't know what it is with Jude as well. I mean, something even more spiritual about this kid. But I can I do it now when I lay him down in his cot at night. I'm like, he's the most like precious thing, living thing on the planet. Like I and I feel this. I feel like he reads me. It's like I'm seeing everything in slow motion because he does everything a bit slower. It's like slow down watching a kid grow up for me. And I'm, I sense how much he takes from me. And tonight I was in a rush because I knew we were doing this and I knew I was getting the shopping delivery. And I thought he's not going to go to sleep. Normally, like we've talked about this before, I just sink in to what I'm doing with him. So normally when... I would like feed him to sleep and I basically pass out with him. Like I'm sitting up, but I literally close my eyes and practically fall asleep with him for like five minutes. And then he's asleep and we've kind of done it together. You know, there's like this togetherness. And tonight I could feel, I felt separate because I was thinking about the shop and thinking about this and thinking about my time. So then I just caught myself and I just stood by his cot and I was just holding him. And I was like, I'm just going to take some breaths with you because I could tell, you know, like we were, we were just feeling separate because I was rushing and I was just breathing Mm. with him and kissing him and lingering with him and thinking, no, you're my priority. I'm sorry. I was, you know, and I, I know that sounds like some perfect like moment of awareness. It's not like that all the time, but it's just on my mind because it happened tonight and I, and I caught it and then I laid, you know, I held him and then I laid him down preciously do you know it's like I don't want to throw him in his cot or like quickly change him or change his nappy and him not know that what I'm doing to him I want to say you know hi baby but isn't it ironic just like when you said when you first found out about him having Down syndrome isn't it ironic that he's teaching up and me as you just said that it's obvious what's happening is that you are putting down your expectations and have done from day dot and you're just in direct 
proper full relationship now not saying you weren't with the first but we aren't I was that we're basically not sure what we're doing wondering what's supposed to be right take on the development thing which is sort of are our children say for example you had Ed I had Constance we probably both at times went why are you so like this are you why are you sensitive what have I done wrong what does it do but that's all about the never never that's all about the what isn't in front of our face that's all about expectations of us and expectations of them but what you have with Jude is this freedom to feel where you are where he is right in that moment then and the sad is how crazy is it you know it takes this situation for for us for me to learn that yeah, it's you know, the best that. possible, yeah. the best possible thing ever. Yeah. And yet, you know, you, as we know from when you were talking last, you know, there is, a, there was the, the shock, and you've been through a journey, and it's yeah. there are aspects to it. But look at what an opportunity, mm. what an opportunity to really understand the human condition. Yeah, and it's hard, and it is, it's it's heartbreaking, and I can literally remember that that I had to learn so slowly and and hard my lesson with my complete presumptions about my first child that I mm. underestimated her, mm. underestimated her left, right and blimmin' centre. God, if I think of the things I didn't understand about my first child and I just thought, oh, well, she can hardly speak. So she probably doesn't know but very they much. Are, this is the thing with kids, right? They are awareness, aren't they? All they are is in their totally. body. Do you know totally. what I mean? It's like they're so integrated and in their body and aware you know, their level of understanding maybe changes and maybe sometimes they feel a certain way and they don't know why they feel that way, but they feel it and that's why they're reacting. They can't pinpoint maybe, you know, because something's, you know, setting them off. Exactly. In the sense that trust, not just your child's own unfolding, but that they are full and total awareness, as you say. And yes, there's the day to be done. You're going to have to get people get to, get to nursery or you've got to get to work. You've got to get the dinner done. But if you can just bring one's respect, as you said, and awareness to meet their awareness, mm-hmm. even that's enough. You know, you don't have to mm-hmm. get it right, but you just have to remember they are a full and total individual with a lot more astuteness than you, actually, because we're actually quite blunt instrument and quite benumbed, actually, after decades of living. Mm-hmm. I don't think... And we've conditioned ourselves to behave ourselves, haven't we? Yeah. And we've and we're not we're, we're kind of a lot of adults are really going around quite de- dysregulated. Mm. And and I think that just remember that your child is your teacher. So if you tune in, you don't have to be unbelievably patient or stop the dinner because they're asking and demanding to do a jigsaw. It's not about that. It's just being present enough that you. I mean, even just dropping, I always think get down to their level on the, on your knees. You know, when you're talking to a child, just get to their levels. They're not looking up or something like that. And just try and tune in to that awareness of where they're at and not um, make assumptions um, yeah. and, and externalise their experience. Yeah. Not, not how should you behave. Like a lot of people will do nappy, uh, do potty training, oddly, just before a second baby comes. And I get it because it's thinking it's another job done. And I sort of say, well, that it's going to go backwards because there's too much new information with a newborn. They're probably going to forget that and want to act out a bit. And then the child gets judged for failing on a project that was always doomed. It's like, oh, they've regressed. This has always blown my mind about, you know, potty train just before a new baby. 
Because I've always thought surely two in nappies is way easier than one running around maybe doing wheeze and poos wherever. And you know, I've always thought that. I mean, and it's such a it's such an automatic thing now. People are like, oh well, I've got another baby, so I can't have you know a kind of older baby. But I, and I always say to them, I, I'm like, are you mad? Like two in nappies, that's all controlled. <laughs> you know, you know that the wee and the poo is going in that nappy and not on the floor or in their hand or wiped on their cot. There's lots of tests that are set in, in, in and I and I get where it's coming from, but I think I wonder if it's part of this need talking development to impose externalized targets. So milestones, we said I think before, milestones used to be a child reaching a certain point on their little road. But now targets sorry, milestones have become targets, things you're supposed to reach. And I wonder if the nappies and the um and the getting in your bed and getting along now, like even going to a new baby arriving, people will still say, oh, the child's, my toddler's had meltdowns and tantrums and things. I mean, it's true, they will have done. And they can be annoying, of course. But there's still, I get the sense sometimes it's a bit like, oh, could we be doing, Couldn't? how can we not have this rather than, it's an unavoidable, really. I mean, you know, there's going to be some emotional fallout from a sibling arriving. There's going to be a change. It's change. It's just change. It might be short-lived. It might be longer. But if we just start with a complete acceptance, it's probably going to lessen tension anyway, um, rather than this sense of going back to your question of why do you potty train? I think it's because it's getting ahead of ourselves. It's like, let's get ahead. Let's get this done. Let's move this child on. Please don't think I'm criticizing people who are doing it. I did the same myself. I think I did that something like this with Constance, where I thought, next stage, next stage, next stage. But, but I know, think it his... does. I mm. think the pushing, because it is, isn't it? You're, you're pushing them into something. I do think it backfires. I think it causes stress. You know, it causes stress in kids. And I mean, I'm I'm proof of that because I'm. I, I'm not I'm not a pusher with my kids and they do things that you know if you know they go through phases like especially Maeve's you know where she wants to be a baby you know like whether it was when Jude you know even when Jude was born she had some stuff going on and it's not I don't know why it just doesn't bother me do you know what I mean I'm not I'm not particularly academic I've never excelled in all that stuff so I guess it's not it's not my makeup, right? So my kids are not like that, I suppose. Um, but like when they need something like that, like say they're going through, and I know a lot of toddlers do this when the new babies come, you know, they want to be a baby again. They want a bottle. They want, they want you to pick them up like a baby. And I've had lots of different parents talk to me about this, like um, when it happens. And, and I always just say, well, let them be a baby. You know, give them a bottle. Wrap them in a blanket. Do you know how quick it lasts if you actually give them what they need about a day? But if it becomes a thing and it's like there's it's that worry, oh they're like exactly what you said, oh they're regressing, something's wrong. They're why would they want to be a baby? And it's like because they're going through enormous change and 
you know, like, I don't know, I probably shouldn't say this on for Mabel, but lately she's she wants to drink out of one of Jude's bottles, baby bottles. And I don't know why she's doing it, but she's obviously got something going on. And I can vividly remember... God, you're gonna I, I remember things like this. I, but I remember things. being about eight or nine and wanting to drink out of my little brother's baby bottle. And I... I, I used to eat baby food. Well, there you go. It's like... Do you remember little baby jars in the old days? And my brother was having the little apricot purees and I thought they were sweet and little tiny spoons. And I mean, who knows what we do things. And it's kind of like, does it matter? It just doesn't matter, does it? And then you give them what they need and they just move on. But it's... Well, actually, you've brought it to a point, actually, haven't you? Which is, so first of all, we... Why is it one... Why is it we end up subscribing to this, this, I don't know, you know, the pressure or why do we submit yeah. to it? You know? yeah. It's fear, isn't it? It's fear. And I suppose that we should probably sum it up by saying, really? Like, is it really? Do you, going back to the trust we probably have in pregnancy, most of us have, that the baby is growing and we know our body is taking care of it. Then by rights, we should have the trust that our child will do what they need to do if you let them feel their own life. And ask where your fear is coming from, like if they don't get the nappy sorted, if they don't get in their own bed, if they aren't coming off the breast in time for the new child. You know, it all gets there. And you look around, you will see everybody becomes grown up in the end, you know. So, so you know, and then in terms of intelligence, in terms of, uh, you know, learning, learning to read and things like that. I mean, it was an absolute eye-opener to me because I fell right down that hole thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get my child to read? She didn't seem interested. She loved being told stories. We were traveling. I didn't have a school. I was like, I've got to do, I've got to sit down with her and I've got to practice, I've got to practice letters, you know, um, do all the um, phonics and all that. And then um, we went through a different schooling system and Walter, my third child, didn't even, you know, didn't go to any formal learning at all until he was seven. So people probably shocked. He'd, he'd never... He basically, I didn't do anything yeah. at all. And then he just, with a little bit of sit down and wanting to know the story, he started reading by himself with a little bit of, well, not a little bit, but a lot of reading to him. Mm. His brain was ready to read. And I think of all the poor little three and four year olds who are being told to effectively, what's called, I call it decoding. It's not reading, they're decoding. Now that might sound like, well, they wanted to do it. And fine if they want to do it. But all the stress that's going on with sitting four year olds down to do their reading practice when i knew with my second and third i just let it go we'll um we'll close there we've gone this way and that in a zigzaggy fashion but i think we have covered everything yeah we've covered lots i think and yeah i think as i think we always come round to this often actually but it is that sort of coming back to ourselves isn't it coming back to how we're feeling and our trust and you know, just trusting in them and trusting yourself to know what's right for them and not always listening to the rules, you know? There's so yeah. many rules and really there aren't really any rules, are there? Not and, really. that, and and it's beautiful that Jude has stopped this conversation and we now need to listen to him. Yeah. So you go and get him and I'll say night-night. All right, night. <laughs> night-night, love, speak to you soon. Bye.